Well, I got a little story I want to tell you, and then I want you to decide, are you the donkey or the merchant? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, I've been using that opening for a very long time, and I never get tired of hearing that first line. Do you love your work? Do you believe it's possible? Well, I've had the pleasure of working with people for many years now, finding or creating work that they love. You know, interesting phenomenon we're seeing right now is that there have been so many subsidy programs, so many reasons people can stay at home that they aren't working because the idea of just making money isn't enough to get people out of their seat and get them going. There has to be more than that. There has to be purpose. There has to be some reason for the work that you do. Hey, I get it. But thankfully, there's a whole lot of opportunity to do just that. And a whole lot of people are figuring that out. Well, we got some questions that will address that and more here today. Here's some of the things we'll be looking at. Dan, how can I scale my artwork? All right. Somebody says, there's no time for me to develop a steady, good income for myself because I'm helping so many other people. Ouch. Well, look at that. How can I create the life direction for my seven-year-old son? Dan, how can I grow my one book into a million-dollar business? And somebody asked, I don't like sales. What can I do? All right. We're going to have fun unpacking those. Our quotation is just one of mine in material that I've been working on. We talked last week on here about the power of relationships, how to create those relationships, lifelong relationships that'll give you all the prosperity, everything that you want just by opening your hand. Got a lot of feedback about that and love the conversations we're having. But the quotation is, being successful isn't about closing transactions. It's about opening and nurturing relationships. So that's one of mine. We'll stick with that. All right, I told you we got a story. We sent out recently this little scenario, sent it out, had a lot of people kind of touch the nerve with people. Let's see where you are in this story. So this is the deal. A businessman who is liked and trusted by his neighbors has been given coffee samples from 50 local farmers. The next morning, he loads up the samples in his cart behind his faithful donkey. He dangles a carrot in front of the donkey's nose. Now, the businessman is already thinking about all the orders he's going to get from these tasty samples. The donkey has no idea why they're going or where they're going. He doesn't even like coffee. He's simply following the carrot just in front of his nose. At the end of the day, the donkey gets the carrot. And he looks forward to another trip tomorrow with another carrot as the reward. Now, the businessman, however, has orders for a thousand bags of coffee. And tomorrow, he'll coordinate the delivery of those bags over the next month, generating more income than most people make in a year. Now, this is, you know, kind of dicey kind of thing, but I want you to think about what is your role in the story? I mean, lots of you have been telling us you want to be the guy in the cart, not the donkey. Now, here's kind of the easy 
scenario to unpack. Poor people trade their time for money or carrots in this case. The problem with that, if you're trading your time for money, is that time is limited. There's always a ceiling then in your possible income. See, if you're in the coffee business, you get an order for a thousand bags, you call your suppliers, deliver the quantity, count your profits. But if you're being paid by the hour and your boss says he's got an opportunity for you to make an extra $20,000, here's how. You're being paid $20 an hour. All he needs is for you to work an extra thousand hours. I mean, what can you do? You can't deliver. I mean, even that 10 extra hours a week could take you, what, two years to cash in on that. I mean, that's got to be frustrating. So those are the kind of things, and those are the kind of things that we're seeing people in the, the Eagles community break out of where, wow, they're seeing ways that they can expand their efforts so they're not being just paid by the hour. I mean, that's one of the things that I figured out a whole lot of years ago is that being paid by the hour just wasn't going to work. Now, that being said, we got a lot of feedback on that little note that went out from people who identified that they knew who they identified with in the story, either the donkey or the merchant who was in the cart. So Jeff says, Dan, I've read your book, refer to it often. I've been successful in the oil and gas industry for over a decade now. COVID put me out of work, and I've invested that time in my first love, aviation. I earned my commercial pilot's license, and I'm a certified flight instructor. No jobs yet as an instructor, but several calls to return to the energy industry. Teaching is my long-term goal because I can take it beyond retirement. Is it worth it in the short term to take a job in energy and push off aviation for four months? The four months that I'd taken an energy job would pay a year's salary and allow me to obtain a multi-engine rating quickly. Thanks, Jeff. All right, Jeff. Here, This is one of those examples where I immediately go to, rather than the either or, go to the both and. Why can't you do both? Take that job, that high-paying job at Energy. But if you're working 40 hours a week, you still have discretionary time to be working toward your aviation goals. I just do both. I mean, rather than putting yourself in aviation and then not being sure of, you know, you're going to have enough income coming in to support your family needs, yeah, don't do that. That's not a great situation to be in. But if you have something else that creates the income, like an energy job, use that as a vehicle for your to get toward your long-term goals. You don't, You can take an energy job and know that it's not your dream job, know that you're not going to stay there forever, but it still makes sense because it provides the income. And that's what I've done at every stage where I've been starting something new. So I'm starting a new business. I decide, okay, what am I going to do right now to provide the income? Even times when I've been in, you know, getting graduate degrees. There, I would do things. I never worked by the hour. I would never take jobs like that. I'd always find things to do, like painting a house. So if I'm going to paint a house, I'm not going to agree on $20 an hour. I'm going to say, okay, to paint your house, it's going to be $2,400. I'll provide the material. Boom. You want to do that? And we get an agreement like that where then I know what the material cost is, but I also can estimate the time that's going to take me. But if I do a really good job and I'm efficient with my time usage, then I can make really good money doing that. But I always just get an agreement for the project rather than by the hour. 
So I would encourage you to do this, you know, keep the real job, so to speak, keep that because it provides great income, knowing that it's just a vehicle for you to pursue the long-term goal of aviation. Man, sounds great. I love what you're doing, that you figure that out, the things you want to do as you move into your uh, semi-retirement, it sounds like. Andy says, Dan, I'm absolutely stuck as a donkey. Now, don't get me wrong. I love what I do, but scaling it is very hard. I'm an illustrator mainly of children's books, and my style is why people hire me. Here's the challenge. It's a style I can't teach others, so I can't subcontract the work. I love doing the work, and I'm reasonably successful, but scaling it, not a clue. All right, now that's a challenge as an artist, but just think about the things you can do as an artist where you do it once and get paid a thousand times. And that's the difference. If you do a piece of art, you do it once and get paid once, then you've got linear income, but you can move into residual income, which is the transition that a lot of you are looking for, where you're not just doing something once and getting paid once, but you're looking for what is it you can do once and get paid over and over and over again. I mean, those are the only things that really get my attention. What can I do once and get paid over and over and over again? Now, that's a challenge, not just somebody working on the assembly line at General Motors. That's a challenge for doctors and attorneys and dentists. They are used to linear income. Now, it may be at a high rate, but they do something and get paid once. Thus, when they walk out the door, their income stops. That's a pretty challenging business model. That really is not a business in the way that it's typically defined. A business means you've got something where when you walk out the door, income continues to coming in. Now, what I described there with the physician, attorney, dentist is they've created a job for themselves where they do the work, they do it once and get paid once. All right, so let's go back to being an artist here. Andy, you're an artist. If you do the illustrations for somebody's book, and you are paid to do the illustrations, you have linear income. But now you're really right on the edge of other ways to look at that. The lady who did the illustrations for my wife Joanne's children's books, she's a wonderful, wonderful lady. Her name is Rose. She, we love her work, but we give her options on how she's paid. We can pay her one flat fee or We can give her a discount on the books if she wants to buy them and sell them for herself, or we can give her a percentage of sales for the first three years. We've had all kinds of creative arrangements with illustrators based on that. If you believe in what the book is going to do, it's somebody who has a track record and you know it's going to sell well. Wow, you could do that if if you did art as part of a course, say that it's an educational course instead of getting just paid to do the art. What if you got 15% of the course sales? I, I did that with a, a course that I did on having your own mastermind. So there's been a few years back, but instead of paying the video producers, there were three young kids who wanted to work with me on that project. And I said, Hey, what if instead of paying you, I'll, I'll pay for your hard cost, any, any hard costs that you've got. And it really wasn't much, but I said, then I'll give you 15% of the income that I get from selling the course over the next three years. That's exactly what we did. Now I've paid them a whole lot more over those, over that period of time than I would have had to pay them to just do the work, but it was a good deal for me and that there was no risk and no money up front. And it was a great deal for them if they were comfortable 
working with me in that arrangement rather than just getting paid once. So there's those are kind of opportunities. Now, the other things as an artist, obviously, is the fact that you can if you do your art, if you did it and you produce calendars or mugs or mouse pads or T-shirts, anything where you did the art once and then it could be replicated. I mean, my granddaughter creates just visual images. She does art pieces and puts them up. I think it's like Redbubble or something. Can't remember the name of the site. I think it's. I think I got that right. And then people buy, like women buy, handbags with her artwork on it. We have a clock out around our pool area where the face of the clock is a beta fish that she drew. And so thousands of people can go there and buy a clock with that design on there. And then she gets paid because of she did the artwork, but she gets paid over and over and over again rather than just one time. Anyway, those are those are some just some ideas, Andy. But man, I love what you're doing. I love um, your your love of doing it. And yes, don't feel trapped. This is a time to get creative and how you can leverage what you're doing and get residual income from your art rather than just linear. Well, we're going to blast through some more questions here. Hey, just a reminder: these are real questions. You, the listeners, I'm honored each week to open that magic mailbox and scroll through and see the questions you asked that we can share and unpack together to help hopefully you, the listener, as well as a whole lot of other people listening as well. Easiest way to get in that queue is to just shoot your question into me at askdan at 48days.com. Again, it's askdan at 48days.com. Stacy says, thank you for sharing your vivid word picture with us, <laughs> the donkey in the cart. Thank you for um, uh, the new Eagle's Nest. She's in an Eagle's Nest we've got called My Business is My Ministry. I love to serve people and do a lot, but I need to figure out how to earn money and still help people. I just flew in from helping another elderly friend who had told me that a stress test showed that he had a recent heart attack, but his daughter's family had gone on vacation. So I dropped everything and flew out one and a half weeks ago until his family was back to help. I don't want to be selfish, but there's no time for me to develop a good steady income. And I'm all alone getting older, so that's important. Like today, I'm going to exercise, buy eggs, fix my 88-year-old neighbor breakfast, and then hopefully sell a couple items on offer up. Anyway, she goes on. Stacy's asking, you, how can she make money when she's so busy helping other people? Wow, this is one of those challenging things that people who have hearts of service uh, struggle with over and over and over again. But if we go back to people like Warren Buffett, I shared a couple of weeks ago, the four things he says that you've got to do in order to be successful. One of those is say no to most everything. Now that may sound like, ooh, gee, that's selfish. You know, there's a lot of people who need my help and I have the ability to help them. But the deal is, if you're just helping them, you're never going to get ahead. You're never going to fill your own cup. Now, one of the things that I give out to members of my mastermind is a silver goblet that is on top. It's like a chalice. It's on top of a little saucer. And then there's a video that we have that goes with that because I believe we serve best from a full cup. I know there's a lot of teaching out there and a lot of people think, gee, if I have anything, you know, the honorable thing to do, the godly thing to do is just give it away. Well, if you give it away, I mean, if you, if, if you have a sandwich 
and somebody else is hungry, you give that sandwich to them. The next day you do the same thing. That evening you do the same thing. I mean, it's a very honorable thing to do, but you know what? You're going to die. You can't do that. You've got to draw a line somewhere where you say, unless you continue to be healthy, you can't serve others well. One of the most profound books my wife, Joanne, ever read in her life is titled, When Pleasing Others is Hurting You by Dr. David Hawkins. When pleasing others is hurting you. I mean, you can find it. It's like 12 bucks, a little paperback. But she has a heart of service. She spent her life helping other people and finally got to a point where she realized she was depleted. But that book really helped her. That is not a selfish thing to do. I mean, one of the things that in the Jewish culture we can learn um, from teachings like Rabbi Daniel Lappin and Thou Shall Prosper is the honorable thing to do is to help yourself, keep yourself healthy so that you can then serve others. The idea of a full cup and what I do in that little video that we've got is to show, draw from the Jewish have the lost ceremony where at the end of the day, the family is together, the dad pours wine into that goblet on top of a saucer. He continues to pour, it gets fuller and fuller, and then it's full. He continues to pour and it overflows. The symbolism in that is that we're going to go out into the marketplace tomorrow. We're going to do what we do with such excellence that we fill our cup. We have everything that we need as a family, and we have an abundance from which we can share generously. That's the concept. And Stacy, I'm going to encourage you to do that. Draw the lines. How, why were you expected to fly across the country, spend one and a half week helping to take care of somebody when the person's own daughter just went ahead and went on vacation? I mean, how does that make sense? I mean, I, again, I commend you on being so giving, but if you continue to do that, you are going to have an empty cup. You've got to figure out how you can fill your own cup and then you can more effectively help other people. One of the webinars that we do is on the power of investing in yourself. And with that, we show how beneficial it can be if you invest in yourself and in doing so, expand your ability to give generously. I mean, the things that I've done over the years, conferences that I've gone to, books that I've purchased, you know, those are the things that equip me to then be able to give way beyond what I could have if I were still just eking out a living on the farm. All right, great question. Hey, we got a question here. There's an audio question that came in. You can leave an audio message as well. This comes from um, this comes from Dwayne. Interesting question that he's got here about his seven-year-old son. Check this out. Hi, Dan. This is Dwayne. I have a seven-year-old son that I'm trying to figure out the best way to direct him in life based on how God made him. He's very, I would say, fearless, enjoys life, excited about life. And I think that's a great thing. And it's funny that I'm the opposite. And so oftentimes I don't know exactly what to do with him. And I wanted to know, is there some type of disc assessment to kind of further give me some insight as to how I should direct him? 
Well, great question. I commend you as a daddy, Dwayne, to be looking at this and trying to figure it out. You know, it's easy as parents just to predetermine what we want our kids to do, what we want them to believe, where we want them to go to school, what kind of degrees we want to get them. And I I have um, been privileged to uh, make a rather extraordinary living in helping people who are 45 years old who figured out, I'm living somebody else's dream. I'm living mom and dad's dream, not mine. And we unpack that and give them a fresh start. Now, that being said, there you can you can do this and again with your sensitivity to this i know you're going to do this well but if we look at the verse proverbs 22 6 train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old not depart from it you know we know that verse well and it kind of implies if we just cram our beliefs down our kids throats you know they're going to grow up to be the kind of little robots we expected them to be well as you know that theory's been challenged a million times over probably doesn't work real well. And if we go back to that verse and really look at the original writing of that, a better translation is train up a child in the way that he or she is bent. Then they'll not depart from. So the challenge as parents is to figure out as you are doing, how is this child wired? What are their interests? What are their talents? What are their personality styles? And as you're describing your son's style is apparently quite different than your own. What a cool kind of thing to be able to embrace that and say, wow, I don't need to make him a clone of myself. I need to have him be excellent in how he is wired. We have three children. They're all very different. Our middle son, Jared, you've heard me talk about him. Dyslexic, ADD, all those things have made school a real challenge for him. And we came home one night and he had covered the walls of his bedroom with black paper we thought, my goodness, you know, this kid's getting into the, the gothic kind of things, you know, the dark, we don't want him involved in that. We need to rip that off the walls and expose the light again. We didn't do that. We thought, what would have made him do that? And we had some testing done, and we were told that the dark paper on the walls and not having fluorescent lights like we had in there, fluorescent lights were almost like a flicker that created in his mind. And removing those things caused him to calm down. And it was much easier for him to focus in on something. He used to have music on, you know, when he was doing his homework, like, Jared, you know, turn that off. It's distracting. No, it was another way to help calm his brain so he could focus in on what he needed to do. So there were a lot of things we did with Jared that we didn't do with the other two children because it was unique to him to help him thrive and prosper, and incidentally, which he has done in a remarkable way. He's involved in the space program. He's a consultant for a couple of the different major space agencies at this point, and just talked to him the other day. He's doing extremely well and just really in his zone, you know, speaking to universities and all that. Never went to college, but he's so passionate about what he's doing. He's in his zone of genius. And a lot of that, I think, comes from the fact that we allowed him to find his own path rather than super, superimposing our own. Now, Dwayne, in terms of are there tests? Yeah, there are, but seven is really young. I mean, we have like the disc profile that you can do with somebody yeah, about 12 years old and all that. I think you're doing an excellent job already in recognizing the things about him. You can go to the disc characteristics and look at D, you know, somebody who's opinionated, quick to make a decision, you know, wants their own way. I mean, you can see in a child as young as seven quickly 
how they are wired. I mean, you'll have two children, you walk into one and they've got the socks organized by color, all lined up straight in their desk drawer or in their, you know, drawer, dresser drawer. And the other kid, you, you open the door and geez, things are falling off over. You got to step over things to get in. They're obviously different in their personality styles. You can recognize those patterns very, very early, but I don't think you need to do anything real formal at this point. Enjoy the time. Keep experimenting as you are. Keep giving your your son the opportunity to explore new things so you can identify where his interests really are and then help him be excellent in those. Great job. Wow. All right, Zach says, first of all, I want to thank you for all the free, valuable content that you give us in it, us it, aspiring entrepreneurs. All right. Uh, going on this adventure for the first time hasn't been quite as scary with mentors like yourself giving such tremendous advice. I listen to the 40 Days podcast every week. I was listening to the episode last week, and one of your points really resonated with me. It was your statement about making peanuts from a book while making millions by leading people to places where they can, where you can make millions. All right. I'm currently getting ready to launch my first ever self-published book, Climbing Your Self-Discipline Tree. And my plan is to somehow turn this into an online class topic for speaking engagements, podcast membership site down the line. While I know this is a great idea and something that Christian entrepreneurs everywhere could use, I'm having trouble focusing on just taking that next step. I'm getting many different tidbits of advice to push sales for the book, such as being a guest on a lot of podcasts, speaking at Rotary's Chambers of Commerce, etc. Don't know which one to focus on. So here's my question for you. How can I grow this one book into a million dollar business? All right. So there we go. Got a book. How do you make a book a million dollar enterprise? Very very rarely is an author going to sell enough books to create a million dollars. If you have somebody like Stephen King or JK Rowling, I mean, certainly that has happened, but it's very, very rare. What I decided very early on was what am I going to do that most authors don't do? I mean, we're told that 40% of well, we're told that 95% rather of authors never make more than $40,000 a year. That's not very attractive if you have aggressive financial goals to write a book and, you know, not going to make more than $40,000. And really to make that on a book puts you in a really small top percentage of authors even to do that. I mean, most books don't sell 500 copies. So let's just kind of go back to the drawing board. What can you do with your book if you know you've got something that's really good? Well, I, um, I'm going to send you a copy of the Venn diagram, Zach, that I use when I work with authors. And I, I like to speak to authors because I like to unpack these ideas. Matter of fact, I, a few years ago, I did a, a video with Michael Hyatt, who at the time was CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, the biggest Christian publisher in the world, uh, now owned by HarperCollins. But we did a video that I titled How to Make $150,000 from Your Book you know, in the First Year. And in doing that video, I unpacked the ways that I've leveraged the 48 days message into other products. You know, we have a seminar, we have other courses that are based on snippets, just little short concepts that are in the book, we develop into full courses. So we've got that. I do coaching, of course, you know, based on the principles in there, how to coach people through 
the processes that I lay out, but how to help them individually. We've done lots and lots of live events over the years. We're getting ready to do some more, incidentally. We'll be announcing those in the next couple of weeks. Speaking, get requests for speaking with your top, the topic of your book. Um, you can do affiliate commissions where you promote other content that's similar to the content in your book. You know, your book, Climbing Your Self-Disciplined Tree. Wow, there are other things that would be related to that. So people who are interested in your book would also be interested in that. And you can get affiliate commission on that. You can have a, a membership site around the concept of your book, you know, like we've done with 48 Days, again, with the 48 Days Eagles. I mean, there's just, we could go on and on, but those are some of the things. And those are the things where I show that even if you make zero on your book, I mean, you give your book away. I mean, one of the blog posts I did a couple of years ago that went viral was, forget the royalties, just give my book away. Now, authors hate that because they think, oh, I want to make money on my book. I, mean, I don't look at it like that. I mean, that's why I'm so quick to give book my books away. Because once they read them, become engaged in the content, then I show them reasons to go to our site or to other links for the other things where I really do make money. So yes, you can leverage your book to make a million dollars, but it's not going to be selling the book itself. This is where you have to take a long-term view rather than just a short term. You know, you hold the book close to your chest and tell somebody, hey, you give me 20 bucks and I'll show you what's in here. No, that doesn't work. You, you meet somebody who's a candidate for your content, give them the book, but then make it clear in there how they can engage with you at a deeper level so you really can make money. I mean, if, if somebody buys a book, you know, and they pay 20 bucks, you know, and I get a dollar fifty royalty, I mean, it gonna, it's going to take a whole lot of those in order to really add up. You know, I can't uh, enjoy the kind of things I do with uh, that kind of income coming in. But if they read that book and then they join our membership community, Okay, it's $48 a month. Well, that's a big difference right there. What if they buy a course? It's $297. If they get involved in our coaching mastery program, all right, that's $4,800 to do that. What if they want to be a part of my personal mastermind? That's $1,000 a month to be part of that. I mean, those are the kind of things that can add up quickly around the content of your book, but much, much different than just selling a book for a few bucks. All right, let me grab one more here. This is another audio. This is, uh, I'm probably going to revisit this one because it comes up so often and I'm probably going to use it as a primary theme on an upcoming podcast. Check this out. Dan, I continue to find myself in this place of being in sales. But as I was raised, Sales is a hated career. It's seen as manipulation or wrongdoing to bring somebody to a product. And I've been pointed out multiple times in my life that I would be good at sales. But oddly enough, I'm in a sales career or job right now. But I can't seem to convince, sell myself on sales. And so my problem is that I, I, I can't see this palpable um, result or thing in front of me. I, I struggle to describe it, but I would like to see what the value is, even though I've seen many examples of it. So that's my basic struggle. All right, Keaton. Hey, thanks for your question. 
Man, I love your question. I love your openness about your struggle there. Let's just go right to the heart of the matter. Selling is not manipulating or conning people into what they don't want or need. True, professional, highest level selling is simply sharing enthusiasm. So if you go to a great restaurant and you tell 20 people about that, that's selling. That's selling at its best basic core and the best kind of selling to be doing. So the key is, are you selling something that you're that passionate about? Something you would want your cousins to have, your next door neighbor to have. If you're not, then just simply change what you are selling. It sounds like you're selling with some reticence right now. Now, if you if you're you know driving a beat up Chevy and you're selling Mercedes, um, you know there there's probably a problem there. You need to be a, a user, a consumer of the product that you're selling. If you get that kind of alignment, this hesitancy about selling is going to go away. So that's my that's my advice to you. Find something that you care about, that you believe in. Selling is the most honorable profession that's out there. It's the easiest thing to leverage. It's the biggest opportunity for creating financial wealth that there is. I mean, no matter who's doing the people who get rewarded financially are the ones who sell effectively and with passion and with care and concern. I mean, they are. If you are manufacturing a widget, and you can make this thing and you, you know, sell it to somebody who's a distributor, somebody who's ultimately going to go out there and sell it. You may make 50 cents on it and that person may make $3. The person who sells the product is the one who gets rewarded. A lot of people get bogged down on trying to make something really unique when they shouldn't waste their time in trying to make it. Get somebody else to make it. You'll make your money from selling it. So learn to enjoy sales. Go back to Get the classic book by Zig Ziglar, Secrets of Closing a Sale. Zig sold with heart, care, concern for the people. But I mean, he made a whole lot of money selling because he believed in it. You need to believe in it. I, personally, I, I love selling. I tell, just selling somebody last night at dinner, I love selling. You know what else I love? I love being sold to by somebody who's really good. I mean, I find myself a lot of times with you know younger and experienced people helping them sell to me. You know, saying, hey, ask me this, you know, listen to me here. You know, no, I already said I want it. Stop telling me about it. You know, bring out the paperwork. But I, I don't, if you try to avoid selling, you're always going to have mediocre success. That's just the bottom line. Learn to love it, not just by learning techniques and closing tactics. And No, learn it by aligning yourself with something that you care about that you believe in, that you're going to hold your head high and share with other people. Again, that's a great topic. I want to come back and revisit that because I don't care what it is you're doing. You may be a stay-at-home mom or a pastor or a teacher or an engineer or an accountant. I don't care what it is you're doing. If you don't know how to sell with confidence, you are limiting your success. We'll come back around, visit that. I'll get you some audio lined up here that we can share some things to enjoy the process of selling. It can transform your future. Hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for 
listening. Thanks for the questions that you shoot into me. Ask Dan at 48days.com. Thanks for being part of this growing community. A lot of you are members of our Eagles community, so you see the stories of transformation that are happening there. But thanks for, above all, believing that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Take it